what do you call it? What's that thing that people call the thing where uh, they have morals? <laughs> like my integrity? Yeah, that's it. Interesting you couldn't think of that word. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When last year came around, you left us with questions that linger. Feeling directionless Seems like the world gave us the finger What are we gonna do? What are we gonna do with our lives? Lisa and Colin need to figure it out This is the show we figure out what to do with our lives Her name was Lily I feel like I should like show you this again just so you can see how dramatic my face looked. <laughs> like just put the computer next to it. Well, because... Mrs. Medlock bring oh in the backstory. <laughs> Is it this is so embarrassing, but I did just give myself goosebumps. <laughs> because you were so good? Because you were acting so fucking good? There's something about when a, an actor's same lines and there's music in between the lines interspersed that's very powerful to me. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not that I was so... It's not that I think I was so good. It's more like dramatic line and then like three-part harmony and then dramatic line. Like that always gets under my skin. You nailed it. <laughs> it's weird to see yourself as a child acting like an old lady <laughs> and obviously thinking you're like really incredible and i remember thinking i was meryl streep what other it's powerful take Oof. it in give yourself a minute <laughs> i can see you're like kind of speechless right now what were your other old lady roles in high school do you remember <laughs> Yep. Bobby's mom and crazy for you where I played sort of like my, I played a version of like one of my relatives where I was like, Bobby, come over here. Like kind of like an old Jewish mother, grandmother kind of character. And then, um, who was the other old lady? Uh, Pirates of Penzance. I was like one of the young daughters. That was my freshman year before they realized I was meant to play old women. Um, (laughs) They were like, this doesn't feel right that she's playing, like, a 20-year-old at 15. I see her more as a 65-plus, 70-plus. Um, What other play did we do? Crazy for You, Secret Garden. What was the sophomore one? Oh, it was Into the Woods. Oh, the stepmother. Stepmother. The evil oh stepmother. Oh, my God, you were always an old lady. Yeah, I was always an did old lady. Did you uh, channel any particular relative for that one? Stepmother, kind of a basic caricature of evil. Um, And I remember our drama teacher telling me to stop hamming it up because I was, like, taking too long to, like, inspect the heel when when I cut off the heel to make the shoe fit. He's like, you're being masturbatory. Because I was, like, like looking at it and, like, just, like, because it wasn't that big a role. I was, like... Milking it. 
savory, milking, milking. And so remember at the end of the night, we'd get notes. Oh, yeah. Written down. He wrote like a really nasty note to me that was like, this this isn't about you. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I'm 15. (laughs) I don't even know what this means. I don't understand. Yeah, well. I'm Meryl Streep. Well, who has the last laugh now? That's right. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not really sure. <laughs> we'll get back to, to our listeners on that one. So, Colin, today you and I are going to investigate the world of cults. Yeah. I'm excited. Um, I'm excited. I think it needs to be noted that we grew up outside of Albany right where Nexium started. Yeah, and of course, like, did you... Nobody knew what Nexium was, right? Until the whole thing blew up. Like, no, it, I never heard about it. No one even invited. It wasn't me. like um, everybody in Albany knew the Nexium people. It was, it was just like <clears throat> a secret thing, I guess. It was happening right under our noses. Right, we were all too busy, you know, going to River Rats games and. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> That's the Albany River Rats for those who don't know the local hockey team. And, uh, you know, I don't know, getting state jobs and stuff. Yeah. And um, going to, of course, the egg. If if you don't know what the egg is, you don't know Albany. Get on your computer and do some research. Yeah, do your research, guys, because I don't want to have to explain every Albany reference I make. <laughs> <laughs> We're not here to cater yeah. to you. I assume all our listeners were born in Albany. In Albany or outside of Albany, but if you weren't, you're going to need to research to understand this podcast. And it's going to be worth it. And it will be worth it. It's not like we're just saying, do your work for nothing. Like, this will be more enriching supplemental material if you've done that basic, if you know the structure, if you get it. And we we started out again with uh, the the beautiful acting by Miss Risa Sarakin. I Thank think you. because uh, uh, yeah. we like our experience in theater, I feel frequently for me, and I think for you too, uh, often borders on the cult, like the whole theater thing, the whole theater world. It's like, yep, there are so many. I can't, I mean, when I was in my 20s, I spent probably two years working on like one project that didn't that it was having like weekly rehearsals that got like that we were trying to write and we were like writing it and like throwing it away and writing it again and throwing it away and it was so time consuming the only reason we kept doing it is because we were we thought we were doing something like important (laughs) Mm-hmm. And I think that is kind of at the heart of like what cults are all about. You think everyone kind of thinks what they're doing is the most important thing or just like a very important and meaningful thing. I'm pretty thing. sure cults literally say that. Like, <laughs> like they, I know of uh, one cult that will remain uh, anonymous for our, for our own uh, protection. Protection. It's like their marketing thing. You can look up videos. It's probably not. It'll probably be pretty obvious. There, there's like 
they literally say like we are saving the world and everyone else is not doing anything but us us what we're doing saving the world yeah it is it's like we are the most that is kind of what it feels like to be an actor when you're working on a project you're really into it's like the whole world it's like blinders. Everything else just is a, a faded off, blurry thing. And your project is the only thing. And no one else really gets how important this is. But they will once right. it's done. Because it's going to rock their socks. Then it comes out or it doesn't. And they're like, uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Just the way they react to everything else that you've done. Which... <laughs> yeah. They're like, do I have to buy a ticket? Yeah, or, like, tickets uh, are a, a little mean... high, I think, for this thing that's going to be in a pretty crappy theater. They're like, can I just say I'm proud of you? <laughs> it's like my friends who are like dot who were like uh in you know medical school learning how to save lives. And I was like, actually, I'm doing an experimental theater piece in this black box in the East Village. And you should come too nice. Because work. the performance changes <laughs> over time. <laughs> yeah. We are doing the work. I I just during this week researching cults, what came to mind is like, why is it actors who are always so susceptible to joining to joining cults? Because theater is like a cult, but then there's this other thing of like a lot of actors join actual cults. Right. And why is that? I think that here's my theory on that, which is actors are always like chasing the next like experience high. I mean, yeah. oftentimes, like, people in performance have, like, addiction issues. But even if we take that aside, <laughs> like, that's that's the, the life of, of a performer is, like, highs and lows, right? It's, it's every show is a high, and then you're looking for work again. And, and it's, like, if you... And a lot of actors have, like, long periods where they're not working too even like successful ones so i think a lot of times it's like where do i put my energy if i'm not if i'm not dedicating myself real hard into this one thing and i still have all this energy to give somewhere i think they're like looking for something to give them that fix of like i'm really doing something that makes a lot of sense to me, the chasing the high. In my mind, like, when I was thinking this through and I talked to a few different actor friends about what they thought, P.S., a lot of them had been recruited for and not gone, but, like, recruited for different cult, like, known cults over the years by other actor friends. Um, so they all had, the people I spoke to all had very strong opinions about it. But what came to mind for me was, like, the sense of community. Because when you would do a show or you do a film, you have this little family and then it's over and you all disperse and you'll be lucky if you stay in touch with one person. So we're like seeking community and in some sense identity because we're because you give so much to acting. It becomes a huge part of who you are because it is like a passion thing. It's not like just a moneymaker usually. So I mean, also you like, want that identity self-worth, right? I mean, that's like the big thing with all actors right is it's like totally <laughs> we all make the mistake of being like my employment is my self-worth and then when it's not there i think you're Who susceptible to 
someone uh, providing you with an alternate source of self-worth that may or may not be kind of sketchy. Yeah, I think you're right. And like every time I watch a movie, uh, a documentary about a cult or I talk to friends about cults or listen to a podcast about one, I think there's always like a glimmer in my eye of like these morons joining a cult. They're so stupid. But then I also the other question that came up for me was like, if if my life had gone like two degrees differently, would I be in a cult? Because the more I learn about cults, the more I'm like, oh, I've been in a lot of things where it's like, is this a cult? It's almost a cult. It's kind of culty. And what defines a cult? So in some ways, I think I just assume it's someone who would be so naive. But I think a lot of us perhaps would be could get ourselves in that situation more easily than we think. Cult or not a cult? (laughs) Yay! I've been taking classes. I'm on the right track. I am realizing I've been holding myself back. I am learning to be a more productive adult. But is it a cult or not a cult? Is it a cult or not a cult? This is a really specific one. Um, please don't. Should I say alleged? Okay. In my senior year, the summer, no, the summer before my senior year of high school, I wanted to be an actor. So I did one of these um, training programs. They had like summer camp, kind of boot camp acting programs at different universities. Um, I did the Cherubs program. I allegedly did the Cherubs program at Northwestern (laughs) University, which is like an acting, you know, you go, you like stay on campus. Maybe some of the kids are going to apply. You're using allegedly in the complete (laughs) wrong way, but I love it. (laughs) I allegedly went. (laughs) We had this whole conversation leading up. To this podcast about how we are supposed to use allegedly if, if we're talking about cults that might be litigious against us. <laughs> and uh, this is our first example. <laughs> and I think it's good. It's, it's almost like I'm scared I'm going to yeah. sue myself. <laughs> continue, continue. <laughs> I, I, almost alleg- <laughs> I allegedly went to Cherubs, this acting program over the summer where you stay on campus, you do acting exercises, you take classes. It was very intense. And truthfully, I didn't enjoy it at all. Um, the last day of Cherubs, they do this apparently every year. <clears throat> they Oh, first I want to say, there was an acting game we played in one of the classes where every student went up and you weren't allowed to leave the stage until you showed the teacher the emotion he named. But you couldn't talk. So he'd be like, Despair! And through your body and your face and maybe guttural sounds, you had to show him despair. But he left so many people, including myself up there for like a half hour, trying to like do things with their body to show the feeling. And he's like, no, no. And it was torturous. I mean, he didn't throw a chair at us, but that was probably the next step. But that's that's so that is culty because it's like all your at the end of the 30 minutes or whatever, your whole you're not doing an acting exercise. You're just trying to, like, please this teacher. This guru yes, teacher. Yes, this leader. 
that uh, that you can do this thing that he wants you to do. And many of us started crying afterwards, and it was sort of treated as though we were having breakthroughs, but really, we all just felt terrible. He made us feel really bad, but he was like, good, good, in this way that acting teachers were always like, use it, use the pain, like you have to go through pain to be oh, a good actor. Acting teachers are the worst. <laughs> They're really the worst. And then I'm like, wait, so what's your credential, acting teacher? Oh, you wanted to be an actor? Cool. Sorry to acting teachers. Some of you, I'm sure, are great. Listen, but like, knows? There but anyway, for the was... grace of God go I, because I'm sure... Uh, give me a few years. acting teacher in like one year. <laughs> <laughs> but you would be a cool acting teacher. Oh, wait, but okay. No, you say that now, but wait until I start exerting my power. True, right now, you don't have a power over a bunch of like young, impressionable people. Yeah. So here's my cult or not a cult. Last day of cherubs, they blindfold us in our rooms. They take us out of our rooms. They blindfold us. They lead us by the hands about a half a mile. They tie us together with string. This is all like 150 cherubs, a.k.a. students. We finally get to the lake. (laughs) We're at the lake at Northwestern University. We open our eyes. They unblindfold us. There's a giant red balloon in the middle of a circle. They make us all hold hands with each other. We open our eyes and we're just fucking looking at a balloon. People are hyperventilating because they don't like to be blindfolded and, you know, pushed around because we have to walk quite a ways. We see the red balloon. Then people are having like, quote unquote, again, breakthroughs. And I just remember looking around and being like, what just happened? I didn't feel moved by it. What did the balloon do? Nothing. It was just a giant red balloon. And then a bunch of people jumped in the lake. Cult or not a cult? Cult. <laughs> Good. Okay, next one. Um, soul cycle. Allegedly called soul cycle. <laughs> soul cycle um, makes its... Um, the people who join soul cycle or who pay for classes are willing to spend a lot of money. There's a hierarchy in terms of like, you get better and better at, at it. The teacher knows you, you sit in the front row. You're like a really good soul cycle rider. You sit in the back row. If you don't know what you're doing, is, you have these is that strictly enforced? Um, well, it's, it's sort of just an unspoken rule that like, if you're going to pedal to the beat, you need to be in, in the back if you don't know how to do it. Cause if you're in the front, you're leading. So the people in the front were always the people the teachers knew or like wow. friends of the teacher or people who worked at SoulCycle. And then in the back are people who are like, I would always be, as I called it, in the shadows um, because <laughs> it's intimidating. And they made it very spiritual. It was, there were no lights on, all candles. And the teacher would say motivational things. And sometimes people would come out crying because they'd have breakthrough moments. SoulCycle, cult or not a cult? Uh, I think not a cult right now, but I think it is a, I think, because I think it's too broad and it's so obviously just a business. Like it would need a person, it would need like a new person to come in. It's not there yet. I say, give it time. (laughs) Five years. We're checking in on soul cycle. We've got our eye on you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Hey, I, I've got two. Uh, I want to. I want to contrast these two because one is a cult and one is not a cult, and I want you to decide 
Which one is the cult? Are you telling me that one has been designated a cult in your mind or by the people of America and the world? I'm telling you, yeah, designated a cult by the people of America and the world. Okay. And one is up for debate. Okay. Okay. So, item number one. Both of these actually were founded by race car drivers or former race car drivers, and that's what makes them both interesting. Okay, so number one, founded by a former race car driver, it teaches that human life was created intentionally by a bunch of aliens who later sent messages in human messengers in human form to check in on things, including, and these messengers were like Jesus and Buddha. They were all messengers from these aliens. Um, and they advocate world peace. They advocate sharing. They advocate democracy, nonviolence, and a liberal view of sexuality. Uh They reject the uh, existence of an ethereal soul, and instead they argue that the only hope for immortality is through scientific means, which is why they are particularly interested in human cloning. And in 2000, they claimed to have created a human clone. And, uh, oh, and they've also suggested that they believe uh, that governments should clone uh, deceased individuals so that they can be put on trial and punished for their crimes, such as Adolf Adolf Hitler and uh, the 9-11 hijackers. Interesting. That's item number one. Item number two. That's definitely a (laughs) call. Also founded in the 70s by a former race car driver, this group has mythology claiming that millions of years in the past, modern-day humans lived alongside various alien species as well as highly intelligent robots. They believe that microscopic organisms and certain genetically superior people can be harnessed to achieve supernatural powers, such as telekinesis, mind-reading, and manipulation, as well as astral projection. The group's teachings typically glorifies armed conflict for opposing ideologies while emphasizing inner peace and freedom from fear and anger. Its teachings focus on family lineages for ruling class. The group gained popularity in the 80s and has only grown in size as new leaders have taken over its leadership following its founder's departure in 2012. Well, that's a cult, too. They're both cults, and they sound quite similar to me. You must choose one. I think number one is a cult. It just had more culty elements to it. And I feel like number two, I mean, it's interesting because they sound very similar with the alien stuff. Ding, 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 ding. You're right. <laughs> yes. What do I win? You win a new car. I don't know. Um, <laughs> a race car. A race car. Item number two what is, was a description of the Star Wars cinematic universe. <laughs> Oh, damn. Wait. But you mean a race car driver came up with that? George Lucas was a former race car driver. He stopped when he was uh, in his early 20s after a bad accident. Um, I think you're a a genius for finding this information. I'm blown away. I didn't know that. And who's the first guy? 
The first guy, his name is Claude. Oh God, Claude Vorilian Realism, and his cult is called the Realists, and they're all about cloning, and they're a real honest cult. Do they have an Instagram? I bet. I bet they do. I can't wait to go on a deep dive with this. Who is the leader now? Um, is it still? That's a great question. And then they're the ones who want to clone like Adolf Hitler to put him on trial. Yeah, which is a pretty fucking cool idea, except for the case I love that, that. you're putting you're gonna put like a child <laughs> on trial, a kid who has done nothing. It's just his genetic sequence. Still seems like that kid deserves hell. Everybody would hate that kid or everybody would feel really bad for that kid until uh, they like forced him to grow the Hitler mustache and everyone would be like, it's him. (laughs) You think people are that basic that they just need him to look a little bit like Hitler? Yeah, I think you could probably just put on trial like a guy that looks like Hitler and Mm. probably people would feel pretty satisfied about that, too. A word Mm. from our sponsor. Yeah. Hats, hats, and more hats. If you're like me, you've got anywhere between six to 700 hats cluttering up your limited closet space. Fedoras, bucket hats, beanies, berets. They're taking over your closet space and over your life. Thankfully, that's why a couple of hat-loving guys just like you invented Hat Friend. Hat Friend vacuum packs each of your hats into a 3-inch by 3-inch vacuum-sealed laminate, which makes storage a breeze. Just feed your hats one by one into Hat Friend's patented lamination tube and watch in amazement as they come out sealed and easily stackable, vacuum-packed in your choice of any one of three laminate colors. When you're ready to wear them, just tear open that cellophane and your hat will unfold right in front of your eyes. Top hats, boaters, Panama hats. Hat Friend accommodates every size and style. So this year, quit keeping your hats laying around your bedroom. Why not put them into one single drawer by vacuum sealing them into a fraction of their original size? Use promo code PORKPIE for 15% off. And join the trend. Make your hats all cubes with Hat Friend. We're gonna squash that dream. We're gonna squash that dream. Okay, Colin, you're in a cult. You're loving it. You feel like you're your best self and you're like tapping into this part of yourself you just didn't even know existed. And you love your chosen family in the cult. You're like hooking up with two of the people in it. You really. Like, you're just loving life. You're making money, but... So, I like that it's a polyamorous cult. Yeah, no, I think they tend to be. (laughs) They tend to be free love. But one day, you get called into the office of the guru, and the guru says, Colin, you have to cut off your family. They're just really dragging you down, and I don't like the way they're skeptical of the great work we're doing here, the important work. Deal breaker? Mm, yeah that's one of those things that it's like you describing it to me obviously it's a deal breaker but if if i'm like so into the cult i might get there i could see how i could get there but they the cult would have to be like talking a lot of shit about my family 
They'd have to convince me that they're hurting me somehow. They're holding me back. Which I think they would. I think they'd try all those tactics. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So I think I I can't get there on this deal breaker. There hasn't been enough. The polyamory alone isn't... uh, (laughs) A sell. (laughs) Isn't... Uh, cause enough to uh, to get me to that spot. Did I mention they're getting you acting jobs? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> They've got some higher-ups in Hollywood, and they are getting you some big-budget blockbuster roles. Are they saying that they're doing that, or are they really getting They already them? got you one, and they're sending you a script, like, next week. And it seems like this really, these are true Hollywood connections. If they've gotten me one, I'm going to assume that I've already fucking knocked it out of the park and that I can get my own after that. So deal breaker? Deal breaker. (laughs) So you're saying you are so confident in your acting ability, which I'm confident in your acting ability too, that once you got that first role, you're like, thank you, Call. I appreciate what you did to help me, but my parents are too important. Thank you for your service. The scammer has become the scammy, and I'm out of here. I use you, babe. Mic drop. Can't play a player. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Gotcha. All right. All right. Here's uh, here's one of my deal breakers. I like that we both picked deal breakers. (laughs) That because we know each other specifically, uh, like. We know that it's got to be more than just like inner peace. <laughs> We're <laughs> like also, sex and money. It's it's got to come with a little sex and money because mine is basically the same shit. All right, deal <laughs> break. Funny. Here's mine. Here's okay. mine. Okay, so this is an Illuminati type cult, right? It's going to assure you of material success. You're going to be in the upper echelons. Full of the most glamorous Hollywood sexy celebs. Jay-Z and Beyonce will be like my best friends. Yeah, okay. And so you have been invited. And once a year, they all have this big orgy where everybody gets assigned a partner, right? So it's your first time. You're excited because mostly it's like pretty good looking people, celebs, very successful people. Some of them are a little older, but, you know, whatever, big deal. They're very successful. So you show up, and you're excited. You're like, who's it going to be? Chris Helmsworth, Chris Pratt, Chris Evans, one of those sexy Chris's, probably. Mm, so many white, generic-looking, famous guys. <laughs> <laughs> but you show up, and the person you get assigned is Mitch McConnell. <gasps> and, and you're like, wait, Mitch McConnell? Like, I feel he's, nauseous. <laughs> he's like part of this cool cult and they're like yeah yeah we all love mitch mcconnell in fact a lot of us have fucked him and he's pretty good uh i'm stunned by this (laughs) the specificity of this one is stunning i got a feeling of nausea when you said mitch mcconnell in a sexual context it's a deal breaker for me and i'm gonna tell you it's not just about the sex um it's also because um I don't want to hang out with people who think he's cool. Mm. Wow. Principal. Really riding your high horse there. (laughs) (laughs) I am. Um, Yeah, I think that um, 
Like, I do want that success. But I think, uh, I used to think when I was younger that it'd be cool to be friends with celebrities. But then because I interview celebrities for a living, I realized they're actually, for the most part, like people I definitely wouldn't want to be friends with. So (laughs) that's a part of it, too. Um, But also... Yeah, just Mitch McConnell. I can't think of a worse person right now, except for you-know-who, but, um, you know, and deceased Hitler, baby clone. But besides those two, yeah. I'm a woman of high moral fiber. Ladies, are you tired of looking for Mr. Right? Everyone knows dating is so time-consuming that you barely have time to eat. That's why the makers of Omelette Hair Care now bring you Popover Boyfriend. Every two weeks, they'll ship you a delightfully curated box to create your own light, doughy, egg-based batter lover, or your money back, with sweet and savory options, because sometimes we want the boy next door, and sometimes we want the bad boy. Simply add this bready bow into a muffin tin, add water, bake for 10 minutes, and voila! A puffy and crummy new man-shaped treat, who's only flaky in all the best ways. Spoiler alert! Popover boyfriend doesn't talk back, he doesn't step out on you, and he smells great. Now you can tell your mother not to worry, you are putting yourself out there and meeting new men, while still getting the daily calorie intake you need to be satisfied. Go to www.popoverboyfriend to get your scrumptious new man today. Order now and receive our Text You Back syrup and Wants to Meet Your Mother Blueberry Preserve for no added charge. That's www.popoverboyfriend.org. I actually am waiting for my first installment. Um, I think I'm getting it next week. So I'll be able to review Popover Boyfriend for the listeners and the readers next week. Can someone hire us to write commercials, please? (laughs) (laughs) Did you find the meaning of life or did it blow up in your face? Did you rise like a phoenix or get shot down in flames? Tell us about it. Come on. Tell us about that face, tell us about it. Come on, tell us about that face, tell us about it. We are now joined by a historian and educator, Maya Rook, and also, I should add, my two-week seventh-grade girlfriend (laughs) it's true it is true now maya were you colin's first girlfriend do we do we have the you are a historian do you have the (laughs) the files on that Uh, do i have the records um i don't know if i was colin's first girlfriend i do have in my archives the breakup note oh (gasps) did you bring that today no, it's in storage at my parents' house with all my other middle school memorabilia. Wow. Can you sort of give us a gist about of what it said and how it made you feel? I What did it say? I found it a few years ago, and I shared it with Colin. Um, I, I, I don't know that there was that much substance to it. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. it sounds like me. 
Mm. <laughs> Empty gesture is what you're saying. Yeah, it's just like, uh, it's not me, it's you. <laughs> Wait, it's not me, like he was saying, it, it's, it was him. It's, it's, not, not, it's, it's not you, it's me. <laughs> no, I think he actually said something about his parents in it, that maybe they weren't. Wow. I feel like I have to find this now. I blamed his parents. I am so glad (laughs) that you didn't. (laughs) Oh, my God. Um, And now, okay, wait. I gave her such a shitty intro. I'm going to build her up a little bit more. All right, let's do it. Maya Rook has her own series of uh, interesting historical, uh, I think... What would you call them? Seminars? Events, seminars, talks, classes. Yes. So cool. Yeah. And what's the name of the series? History Happy Hour. And where can people find it? Um, I My website is historyhappyhours.com. And I'm also on Instagram and I have a Facebook page. Um, but yeah, I do a series of now all virtual events. So we gather on Zoom. I talk about a different topic. We socialize. Um, so I try to just find ways to make history accessible, relevant, and fun. Um, try to bring the past to life a little bit so it's not just, like, boring dates and names. And uh, we are talking to you specifically today because uh, you reached out. You said you had gone through multiple phases in your life. You felt like you almost had too many to choose one. Uh, but we settled on... An obsession of yours, uh, which is the Salem Witch Trials. Yes. I love the Salem Witch Trials. I was thinking about this in the context of phases, and I realized that it's been an ongoing phase, one that has ebbed and flowed. But since I was probably about 10 years old is when I first discovered the Salem Witch Trials. And... Yeah, it's really grown since then. When I was in middle school, when I knew both of you for the first time, was probably when I was investigating it the most. And it was also probably inspired by watching The Craft too many times. Mm. And then, you know, Mm -hmm. like discovering like witches, witchcraft, witch trials, and really going down that rabbit hole. That was pretty cool. You were cool. Uh, We will say for the record that Maya was cooler than me. I do remember you dressed very cool. You were very stylish, kind of like a bit of a goth style, I would say. I did go through a goth phase. That's another phase that we could talk about. But it seems to me like like the the goth phase and the witch phase sort of go hand in hand, right? Like it's all part of the same thing, I think. The craft, loving the craft. You were kind of dressed like that. Yeah. And and in fact now I'm gonna say you're you look like one of the gorgeous ladies from the craft right now because you're wearing a dark shirt. You have some sort of powerful amulet necklace. Yes, I do have a pendant from my grandmother. That's cool. From, from Ireland. Ah. Yes. Anyway, so, yeah. Yes. So that was sort of my f- my first entry into the phase, and then when I was in college, I discovered. And that's when I really started getting into history as my main uh, field of study, and then this would turn into my career. Um, but I discovered that I have ancestors connected to the Salem Witch Trial, so that kind of sparked my interest again. So I found out thanks to somebody in my family who basically just like hand wrote a bunch of our family history down that 
I was descended from a confessed witch during the <gasps> trials. Yeah. Well, what was her name? Her name was Martha Tyler, and she confessed. And in Salem, if you confess, you would not be executed. Yeah, mm. so thankfully for me and the rest of my family, uh, she was able to go on, have kids, and then, you know, here I am today. Um, so that was sort of this interesting entry point. And then I started doing more research, and I found out I'm also descended from a magistrate. So somebody who is, was responsible for issuing about 50 arrests during the trials. And when he stepped down and he quit his job, he was like, this is not a good idea, guys. We should not be doing this anymore. Uh, the afflicted girls turned around and accused him and his wife of using magic to kill people. So they fled town. His brother was then also accused. They said that they saw him, his specter, leaving his body and tormenting a dog. So they... <laughs> yeah. So they accused him of witchcraft. He did not want to stand trial. So he also fled town. And in his place, they hanged the dog. What did what? the dog do? The dog. What? Yeah. How was the dog guilty in this? I'm not really sure if they thought the dog was bewitched or the dog was also sort of part of his witchcraft. But yeah, it's a bummer. Not only did they kill, you know, 20 people during the trials, but <laughs> I like that, even a dog. I like that me and Risa are like more, much more concerned about the dog than the people. Yeah. <laughs> oh, everybody always is. <laughs> What is wrong with humans yeah. that we're always so much more upset by, like, animal cruelty than people being murdered? We're like, 20 yeah. people hung, but a dog? But the, dog the dog didn't do anything. He, yes, because we see dogs as innocents. Dogs yes. and children, they're just so innocent and intuitive oh. and cute. What is it that you think you're getting out of, uh, like, these historical, looking back into your uh looking back into your past and looking into your family history in regards to the Salem witch trials? Yeah, I think that's a great question. You know, what, what do we get out of looking to the past? And for me, I think it just taps into the sort of human quality of our desire for stories and to be storytellers. And this particular story I just keep coming back to again and again because we have all this information about the Salem witch trials and what happened and who the people are, but there's still a mystery to it. We still don't totally understand how this could happen. And um, so there's always something to rediscover about it and looking at things from different perspectives. Um, and then I also feel like whenever I study history, I have this kind of like emotional connection to it. I get very invested in the people. Uh, I like to go to the actual locations and try to feel the energy of those spaces and try to bring the past into the present and see what it can teach us for today. Have you gone to Salem and like tried to find your relatives' homes or where they were buried? So with Salem, I've only been to Salem one time, and I'm actually a little nervous to really go to Salem because there's such a tourist quality to it. Um, and so I might go and just try to see some of the historic sites, uh, which are not going to be as busy anyways. A lot of the places where the real history happened is in Danvers, which used to be the village of Salem, and they renamed it Danvers in the 1800s or the 1700s. So I might go kind of like check out some of those sites at that point. I also have this theory that 
the Bethlehem Public Library is some kind of magical spot because... So when I first found these books, I was, I said, about 10 years old, and I just stumbled across this corner of the library, and I can still see it in my mind, even though they've rearranged things. I know exactly where it was, and I just started seeing all these books about witches, witch trials, witchcraft, and so I I took them all out. They were this sort of in-between, you know, the children's area and the adult area, so this little, like, nonfiction I know exactly the area you mean. Yeah. Right, So that's where it all started, and it was by total accident. Then about three and a half, four years ago, I am in Albany. I'm staying with my parents. I was in this kind of transition of my life. And to keep myself occupied while I was looking for a job, I was doing research on Salem. Because I was like, what else am I going to do? There's something about this... That library, I agree with you, it's magical. Even the smell of that library, to me, is magical. It's so specific. I've never smelled such a soothing smell as the Bethlehem Public Library, and I encourage our listeners, if you're ever in town and they're allowing people in right now, go in and take a whiff. There is something so soothing. The librarians are so... Well, actually, my dad got in a fight with one once, but for the most part, so friendly and nice. And there's something about the energy that feels very 1970s in a way that I really connect with. Yeah, the whole architecture, um, too, right, is super, like, 70s. It's, it really puts you in a time. <laughs> it really does. Yeah. It Everything yeah. feels dated and everything feels nostalgic for the three of us, I feel like, because we have all these different childhood memories in different sections. But yeah, yeah. We, we should try to capture the scent and market it as a candle <laughs> in Bethlehem Public Library. <laughs> it's the I, carpets. It's the carpets and the old books mm-hmm. together. Carpets and books. <laughs> I did also witness two elderly men get in a fight over an obituary <laughs> section of the newspaper there. <laughs> Do you think they knew the same guy who died? <laughs> Somebody was reading the newspaper and someone was like, can I just take the obituary section? She's like, no, I'm not done with the newspaper. And he's like, please, I I have to read the obituary section every day. And he's like, well, you better wait your turn. He's like, you know what? You're a pain in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other guy, like, got up and stormed away. It was very intense. What? The, yeah. The, Damn. Wow. That was really messed up of the one guy. Because what if the other guy's, like, looking to see if, like, the love of his life, who he lost touch with, died. And every day he looks in the obituary section for her. You wouldn't even give him that. I feel like it was a power play on the guy asking, though. Like, he was like, no one will deny me the obituaries page. Right, that would be so messed up. But he got served. But this guy was like, I call you a bluff. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, it was fun to go there and, like, read all the newspapers and rent rent videos from the back room. They had a room you could rent videos from. And they had, like, fun audio stuff like different records. Yeah. I love that place. So my, uh, it's our number one recommendation. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> We're sponsored by this Bethlehem is public now <laughs> a podcast all about the public library system. Yeah. And what, what was the, you said you were in Colorado for a little while before you settled where you are now. Um, yeah. And you said that was part of a phase. Would you feel comfortable telling us what that phase was? Yes, and it is very appropriate for your theme of joining a cult, which I really want to know if you guys are joining a cult or not. Um, but I moved <laughs> We don't know yet. We're just trying to figure out if it's right you for us. You could make it or break it for us right here, right now. Yeah, yeah seriously. So I grew up in a, like a Western Buddhist community, and I was invited to 
moved to Colorado to serve as a nanny for basically the guru of this community and be a nanny for his three children. So I did that. So I like gave up everything that was going on in my life and was like, I'm going to go do this. And after about nine months, I had to leave. (laughs) Things just got weird. Um, And it was mostly interpersonal stuff with other people who are working there in this household. Um, But I just started seeing all these patterns were kind of coming together that I'd noticed throughout my life of um, just secretiveness, mistreatment of people. And I felt like I was being mistreated in this particular situation. And so I left. And that's actually why I moved back to Albany and was with my parents for a little while. Um, So that particular, and I do consider it a cult in many ways. And after I left about a year and a half later, all these accusations came out against that teacher of sexual misconduct and abuse. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so... When you were nannying for this family, were you also taking part in the activities that this cult was um, was like doing, or were you more of a peripheral person who was taking care of the kids and just sort of like like you said, like feeling secretive things, feeling mistreatment? I was involved in different practices, and it was something I had actually worked for the Associated Meditation Center in New York City beforehand, so. I had done like, you know, all the meditation practices, gone on all these retreats. So while I was there in Colorado, I was primarily involved in taking care of the kids, but I was still doing things within the community and doing things that would be considered practices within um, this particular group. And there's a lot that I still, like, I still meditate. I still feel a connection to certain things that I did, but the overall organization and the structure of it is, and the hierarchy, um, that's where I feel like a lot of the issues came into play. I remember I ran into you in New York City. It's the last time I saw you because I was taking a meditation class there. Yes. I just did like a drop-in meditation class and you were working at the front desk. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just, for our listeners, just like a normal vibe of a meditation place. And what what the interesting thing is for so many people, that's all it was. You'd come get meditation instruction and you'd bring it into your life. And I think that's a wonderful thing. But the sort of deeper you went into it, the weirder things got. And that's usually what happens with cults, right? Yeah, I think so, too. We're finding that out. I feel like, (laughs) yeah, it seems like the first few parts, like if you're climbing a ladder as you join a cult, the first few steps are really nice. Like you really do get help. You really do better yourself in certain ways because you're getting all this attention or you're getting all this like... I don't know, some community. Um, yeah. And that's and- a huge part of it is the community. And they become your family, your friends, everything. So that's your support system. So when you decide that you're going to walk away from it, you basically have to allow all of that to dissolve. And I think that's why a lot of people stay in cults, because that's a really scary and uncomfortable thing to do. The I was reading like the characteristics characteristics of what makes something a cult or something that's just cult like. One thing is that um, they sort of first of all they sort of punish you if you leave or they do whatever they threaten you in some way. And another thing is that oftentimes to coerce you into going deeper with them into what's happening, they like deprive you of like calories or sleep, or they basically like make you more vulnerable in certain ways did you feel any of those things happening to you or 
to other people around you? I think that the biggest thing that I found when the issues arose was that I felt like I was being isolated and kind of pushed out. So there was interpersonal um, relationship issues happening within, as I said, the other people working in the household. Um, But I had to basically leave. They put me like in this staff apartment by myself and wouldn't allow me to come to the house or see people. I had a friend who was coming in from out of town to volunteer and she was originally going to come stay with me and they like wouldn't let her do that. And she even said, if Maya's going through a hard time right now, she probably needs support. She probably needs a friend to be around. Um, But to me, that felt like they were purposefully isolating me. Um, Yeah. I was thinking that um, last night that my dog was a cult leader because he hasn't been letting us sleep at night and he's been like being really crazy at night. And I was like, this is kind of the first step. Like we're slowly over time not getting any sleep and then we're making dumb mistakes and we're kind of more at his mercy because we're so weakened. So these things happen. And it's a power flex. Yeah. Anyway, um, back to your story. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, it's funny. I know that it's like kind of going off track to talk about the experience in this cult-like environment. But when I left Colorado and I came back, that's what I, I felt like I had been in the situation where I was being persecuted. So I went in back into my Salem phase. That was a sort of restart was inspired by that. Oh, so it's almost like a phase got you out of a phase. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. And and it's really Salem that allowed me to start doing these history events because everybody is interested in Salem. That was the first one that I offered as a public event, and it sold out immediately. And I was in Rochester. I had just moved here. Nobody knew who I was. It wasn't like I had a following of people. They just saw Salem Witch Trials and wanted to come learn about it. So that's how I kind of hooked people, and then I started doing all my other stuff, and I've been able to really build a business out of it. Yeah, I want to go to the witch one. I mean, I'd go to both, but the witch one especially is, you know, guilt. I'm just a fault. I'm like everyone. I'm just like, ooh, witch witch stuff. Cool. Yeah, I mean, this book that we're going to look at basically created the negative stereotype of the female witch. So we'll really kind of pick apart that whole uh, stereotype. Can you just quick, I know, Colin, we have to get ready for our next call, but like what were the main ways that you knew someone was you you know in this book like like this makes you a witch what were like those traits well being a woman was definitely (laughs) (laughs) more likely yeah more likely to be a witch um there they would look for physical characteristics so a witch's mark or a third teat basically uh It could be anything like a a mole or a birthmark or just something odd, a skin tag um, could be identified as a witch's mark. And so that would make you a witch. Um, They would also, there was just different, different, this one kind of got into what you have to do to be a witch. A lot of these texts talk about, you know, like renouncing God, making a pact with the devil, having sex with the devil. Uh, This book in particular said that having sex with the devil was very painful and that the semen was ice cold. That doesn't sound that bad. That actually sounds nice. I don't know. If you take out the very painful part. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, the ice cold part doesn't sound bad to me. Better than scalding hot, I say. Yeah, you would think like Satan hell that it would be. Yeah, that's what I thought you were going to say. Yeah. 
Ice cold. Semen okay. of hellfire. <laughs> see that? Whoa. Yes. Um, but yeah, then I'll, I'll let people know about, so my latest Salem project is called Salem Oracle, and I'm just launching it this month. I'm doing a day-by-day account of the Salem witch trials. So on Twitter and on Instagram at Salem underscore Oracle, um, basically starting January 20th, every day I will be posting what was happening in Salem in 1692. Awesome. Yeah. Well, that's so cool that you do this now. Um, I haven't caught up with you in a long time. Colin was more like up to date. And I think it's really awesome that you like, basically your story is like, I know you said you've gone through a lot of phases, but you went through this one phase that was a darker period in your life. You transitioned into this phase, thanks to Bethlehem Public Library, that is a really positive thing where you now like made it a lucrative career and you educate people. So I see this as a true, like, I don't know, this is like a story of triumph. Well, thank you so much, Maya. Yeah. And um, I know it was painful to see your ex like this, but um, I hope, you know, just like we have to have to move on at I some know. point. How do you think it feels yeah. for me? She's thriving over there. <laughs> yeah, wait, I don't even know what's going on with you guys in your lives, except that you're trying to figure out what to do with your lives. <laughs> Clearly from this podcast, we're both a mess. <laughs> we don't know what we're doing. But, but after, um, you know, a few weeks, we're going to have it figured out for sure. Thanks so much for listening to Risa and Colin Figure Out What to Do With Their Lives. Tune in next week when we contemplate becoming survivalists. If you like what you just heard, please rate us, leave a review, and subscribe. Okay, bye! Bye!